We're going to continue our study in the book of Mark. We're in Mark chapter 9, and if you've got a Bible, if you'll turn to Mark chapter 9, if you're looking on your device, it's Mark chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 30, and if you would stand with me out of reverence for the reading of God's Word. From there they went out and began to go through Galilee. And he didn't want anybody to know about it. For he was teaching his disciples and telling them, the Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he has been killed, he will rise three days later. But they did not understand this statement and they were afraid to ask. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he began to question them. What are you discussing? What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way they had discussed with one another which of them was the greatest. Sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last, and the last of all, and the servant of all. And taking a child, he set him before them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me. And whoever receives me does not receive me, but him who sent me. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. We all know the feeling of of something being in the way of there being a hindrance maybe to what we're trying to accomplish. Maybe, you know, you're at work and something's just not quite right. Maybe you need some more education or some more training uh, to walk through something. Maybe you've got some fitness goals. Maybe you're going to the gym and you just can't quite get the the goal, whether it's physique or lifting a certain amount of weights that you want, and there's just... Something that's blocking you. Maybe it's nutrition. Maybe it's a lack of knowledge about some training. But we all know this idea of having a goal and having maybe a difficulty getting there because there's something in the way. As I was thinking forward to this weekend, uh, we had a one family weekend where all the church kind of gathered together and we had a time of a fun of uh, kickball and ultimate frisbee and lip sync contest, um, which was great. The food, which I'm still recovering from. One of the things that I was reminded of as as we were thinking towards this is in the book of Hebrews where it talks about that we're running a race and one of the things that we are to do as a body, one of the things that we are to do as believers is to be able to spur one another on. And in weekends like we had where we're gathering together in fellowship and as we're having fun and as we're getting to, to, to commerce and talk with one another in ways that maybe we don't always get that time to do, that this is building in us and around us the structures to help us as we run our Christian race. In this race that we're in, if you are a believer, 
the Bible tells us, the illustration that it often uses is that you're in this race, and in this race, the goal is to glorify God. And the way that we glorify God is by knowing Christ and to make Him known. And I think one of the traps that we fall in, that I just want to lay out at the outset, is this idea that our Christian faith, our Christian walk, is kind of like a part-time job. Or maybe it's a hobby. And this is getting the Christian life all wrong. You are a father, maybe, if you're a father, (laughs) but you're first a Christian. Maybe you're a mother here this morning, but you're first a Christian. Maybe you're a businessman, but you're first a Christian. Maybe you're a student, but your first task is that you are a Christian in a race. We are runners. We are called to run. We are set aside to run. We should be running. And if you know anything about running, physical running, if you're running some distance, if you've got this goal, if it's very important to you running and finishing a race, one of the things you have to do is you have to pay attention some things that you may not pay attention to if you weren't in a race. You have to pay attention to what you're putting on your feet. You have to pay attention to your shoes. If you wear the wrong shoes, you won't get very far. If you wear the wrong clothing, it could encumber you. It could entrap you. And, you know, it can cause all kinds of discomfort and you won't get very far. If you're not ingesting the right food, you won't get very far. I would say this, if you eat two funnel cakes, you're going to have problems the next day. In the book of Hebrews, it tells us that we are in this race and one of the things that we're supposed to do is lay aside or cast off or put away any hindrance, any obstacle that may keep us from running the way that we are supposed to run. And as we look here in the book of Mark, over the last couple of weeks, over the last couple of months, there's been this turn in the book of Mark and Jesus really went from what Mark is telling us, as Mark is leading us into, from going from Jesus' public ministry to to the main focus here in the book of Mark over the past couple of weeks has been Jesus training these disciples. Jesus training His disciples to run. And it all starts with Peter's confession. When Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And He says, thou art the Christ. Jesus then starts narrowing in and says, okay, I'm going to teach you boys how to run. I'm going to teach you how to run. And He lays out the strategy. Do you remember the strategy? Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow Me. And that has been the heading over the past couple of weeks. And and last week as we were in the text, as we were in the text just before this one, Mark takes us in. Jesus is, is with His disciples and He helps them and He is teaching them how to run, how to unencumber themselves, how they can be free and how they can run. And you remember that Peter, James, and John with Jesus come down the mountain and the disciples are there and they're trying to run the race. 
They're trying to cast out this demon from this little boy and they couldn't do it. And Jesus helps them. He said, if you're going to run this race, you can't be dependent upon yourself. You've got to be dependent upon me. The power that you need to run this race is the power that comes from me and this power comes through prayer. And this week, this week, we are going to see again that Jesus is coming along and He's helping these disciples and He's helping us to know how to run this race. When I was in college, I ran this adventure race. It was this little two-day uh, adventure race. Um, and the, the, after the first day, our little ragtag group of crazy college kids were in first place. So we take off day, one, day two and we go in the wrong direction. It wasn't really our fault. They didn't have the course mapped out yet, but we take off the wrong direction. And it cost us, cost us the race. We got second or third place, I think. But we went down the wrong path. And this morning, what we see is we see these disciples are headed down the wrong path. In this race that Jesus is training them how to run, they take off down the wrong path. Let's see what's going on. Notice, there's something very important in these first two verses. It says, from there, they went out and began to go through Galilee. And get this, he didn't want anyone to know where they were going. Just before, the scribes were there, the Pharisees, the crowds, and Jesus intentionally takes these guys on a journey, gets them away, he's got them alone, and he's, he's there, he does this because he wants to teach them. Verse 31, for he was teaching his disciples. So this is like a personal training course. Jesus gets these guys away, he gets them by themselves, and he begins to teach them. And notice what he is teaching them in verse 31. The Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and when he's been killed, they will rise three days later. There's no important lesson for them to learn than to learn the reality of the Gospel. The reality of the Gospel message. And Jesus is, is teaching them. And, and what we know as we've been going through the book of Mark is that this is not the first time that Jesus has been teaching these men about the Gospel. And about what is getting ready to take place. In fact, if you look at the, the tense in the original language of this text, it denotes this idea that I think is right, this, I'm speculating a little bit here, but it denotes the idea that Jesus was continually teaching them these things. That this was on the lips of Jesus in, in, in a regular teaching fashion. He was regularly teaching them the Gospel. And what's interesting, as He's teaching them this Gospel, what's interesting is that there's this change in tense where it says that the Son of Man is going to be delivered, it should probably be translated, the Son of Man is being handed over. So Jesus, as He's teaching these disciples, is actually telling them, I think what is going on here is that He's actually telling him that at this moment, the Son of Man is being handed over. The plans are in motion. 
You remember several months ago, the scribes and the Pharisees were seeking to do what to Him? To destroy Him. The plans were in motion. Jesus was going to be handed over. And then in verse 32, they didn't understand this statement and they were afraid to ask. Think about what they had seen. Don't miss this. They had seen this man heal people. They had seen this man raise people from the dead. They had seen this man walk on water. They had seen this man calm the storms. They had seen this man with just a little bit of food multiply the food out of thin air and feed thousands of people. They had heard the voice of God say, this is my beloved son. Peter, James, and John had seen him being changed in front of their eyes. Notice his words. You notice that he says the son of man. We know if you study your, your Bible, one of the things that you know is this title, the Son of Man, comes from the book of Daniel. And it, when it's prophesied about there is one coming who will deliver his people, this is that title, the Son of Man. Peter himself, based on all the evidence that he had seen, had said, Thou art the Christ, the one who is going to deliver us, the deliverer. Mark, all throughout his gospel as he's writing of Jesus, gives us these tones of this this Old Testament uh, idea that God in the flesh Himself is here. And we are at this moment. We are at this moment. And what Jesus is teaching them is that the sovereign King, co-creator of the universe is going to be handed over like property. We know he's going to be handed over like a criminal, like he's a property of the state. Handed over. And you would think in this moment that the question that would be on your mind is no way. No way. We've seen what you can do. There is no way. Who's going to hand you over? You're the king. You're the one. But that's not on their mind, is it? <laughs> There's something wrong. There's something in the way. They're not able to go there. They're not able to process this. And if what's going on with these disciples isn't corrected, then this path that they're taking will lead to their ruin. And Jesus, Jesus is not going to let this happen. Look at verse 33. They came to Capernaum, 
And when he was in the house, he began to question them. What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. (laughs) Any of you parents, or maybe you can remember as a child if you don't have kids, and certainly those of you who are children or teenagers in here, this has happened. I know as a dad, I've been driving down the road and things have gotten quiet in the back seat. I can tell that the kids are talking, but they're whispering. That's never a good sign. They're normally either scheming some kind of plan that's not good or talking about something that they shouldn't be talking about. And isn't it interesting that Jesus was perceptive enough to know that they were talking. He could see that they were talking. And then now when they get to Capernaum, after they had journeyed for a while, he says, oh, what were you talking about? And they just kind of got silent, like, "Uh uh-oh. And Jesus knows what they were talking about. They were talking about, get this, get the picture. Jesus is talking about the sovereign king, the Lord of all, is going to die. And the disciples are talking about what? Who's going to be the greatest? Which one of them is going to be the greatest? (laughs) Think about who these guys were. Were any of these guys Bible scholars? Did Jesus come and pick out these men because they were, oh man, this guy, this Matthew guy, he's awesome. You should hear his knowledge of the Old Testament. He's got the Torah memorized. No. Jesus picks these ordinary, rough men, these fishermen, this tax collector. There's nothing about them that screams greatness. The only thing that gives them any greatness is because they were with him. And that had to be going through their minds. They got it. Peter confessed it. They're with him. The scribes, the Pharisees, the crowds, they don't get it. We're riding with him. And isn't this, isn't this idea, isn't this idea of wanting to be the greatest, isn't this just human nature? Don't we deal with this quite a bit? We really want to be the greatest. We really want people to make much of us. How did Satan tempt Eve in the garden? You want to be great? You want to be like God? We never fall into this trap, do we? Think about the religious system that they grew up in. Think about as they may have grown up going to church or Sunday school or whatever, who was the greatest? Well, the Pharisees. And they let you know it, right? They dressed differently. When they prayed, they prayed out loud and they used words to let you know just how holy and righteous and good they were. When they gave money, they made sure they did it in ways so that you heard those coins hitting the bottom of that thing. Boom! Take that. I'm great. Even when they fasted, even when they were doing things like denying themselves and fasting and praying, they did it in such a way that it was a show so that they could prove how great they were. But thank the Lord, in our modern day, we don't do this anymore.
church life, we're never judging where we fit in or how good of a Christian we are based on our Bible knowledge or getting to pray a certain way or can we pray or how we dress or how much money we give. And preachers definitely don't do this. You never hear preachers talking about how big their congregations are or trying to prove how smart they are to other pastors. It just never happens anymore. So think for a minute, if you were Jesus, how would you respond? Wouldn't the temptation be, again, to come maybe hard at them? Get behind me, Satan. What's your deal? Or maybe like last week where we had Jesus in, in verse 19 when He says, Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? Oh, you guys. I think what's interesting here and what's vital for us to get is notice what goes on. In verse 35, it says, sitting down. I think that's important. They're in the house. Jesus goes. He sits down. Some time has passed. Because it says that He called the twelve. So Jesus sits down. He lets some time pass. He calls the twelve. And even His posture and everything about Him in this moment is that He is wanting to set the table in such a way where He can sit and they will hear what He has to say. Because what He has to say is of vital importance in their Christian walk. Jesus doesn't want these men to stay on this wrong path. He wants to help them. And so He sits down like a rabbi and He looks at them eyeball to eyeball. And He removes this obstacle. He tells them what is hindering them from running. He says, if anyone wants to be first, he shall be last and the servant of all. The economy of the kingdom of God is different than the economy of the world in which we live in. If you want to be great in the kingdom, you serve. If you want to be great in the kingdom, you love. Because if the goal is to follow Jesus, then when Jesus says this, what should have come to mind, hopefully in these disciples, and hopefully with us, is the kind of life that Jesus lived. Jesus lived the kind of life where when He saw outcasts, when He saw people that were untouchable, when He saw lepers, He went to them and He touched them. Last week, when Jesus comes in contact with this child that was possessed by this demon, that Jesus has compassion and He frees this child from this demonic oppression. Jesus interacts and eats with the worst of the worst, the tax collectors, the sinners, and He loves them. Jesus is constantly doing things in ways and with people that make the world doubt that He's really the Messiah 
Because they don't understand the economy of the kingdom. And in a few weeks from this moment, the sovereign king co-creator of the universe will be sitting down with his tunic around his waist, his robe around his waist, washing these disciples' feet. And then just a few days from there, he will do the greatest act of service at all, of all in that he will give his life so that we could live. So that when we hear these words, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me, that the way we are to run is like him. That we look to serve. We look to love. And just in case they wouldn't get it, Jesus gives them this object lesson. In 36, He's sitting down, and He takes a child, and He sets him before them, and taking him in His arms, He said to them, Whoever receives one child like this in My name receives Me. And whoever receives Me does not receive Me, but Him who sent Me. And one of the things that may get us twisted and out of sorts as we think about this is that we've got to understand what Jesus is illustrating. In our society, we place a high value on children. And that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. In this society, there was a low value placed on children. Children were the least of these. And think about it. If you were trying to up your status or be the greatest, you wouldn't teach children's church. Not very visible. The elders don't go talk to the children about who should be elders. Your status and your stats may not get very high if you're teaching children because they can't really give you status. What Jesus was saying is that if you are really running the race that I'm setting before you, if you're really running the race of the kingdom, then you will love and serve and you will do it in areas and to people who can't give anything back to you because you don't need anything from them. And why is that? The reason for that is because the cross is everything. cross is everything. On this side of the cross, one of the things that we know is that when Jesus went to that cross, what is it that we brought to Him so that He would die for us and accept us into His kingdom? Nothing. There were no conditions put on that. Right? And so when we're at the foot of the cross, one of the things that we see is that we should be a humble people because we have been given everything for nothing. How much does your praise add to His glory? Nothing. Nothing. 
Jesus died for you based on nothing in you except for your need to be forgiven. We ought to emulate Christ and love others based on nothing but what they can give to us except for their need for His love and His kindness seen through you. And that as Christians, this whole idea of the cross, at the foot of the cross, you should find humble, joyful runners. That's who we are. And think about this for a minute. How crazy would it be How crazy would it be if you were in a race? So, one of the things in these really long races and marathons or ultra marathons, one of the things that happens is that there's time limits. And usually they have a halfway point. And so, you know, if you're running a 40-mile race, then there's usually a checkpoint. And if you're not off the course by a certain time, they come along and they pick you up in a car and they take you on. They can't stay there for four days for you to run, you know, 40 miles. One of the things that I believe happens to us as believers is that we're supposed to be running and we're just hanging out on the course. Waiting for Jesus to come back and scoop us up in the car and take us home. That's a dangerous place to be. You're assuming an awful lot. True followers of Christ are running. They're denying themselves. They're picking up their crosses. They're following and the other crazy thing that I think happens to us in our Christian walk is that we explore other paths. And I think as Christians, the path that we most often go down is this little path that looks really nice. Looks like it may even be a shortcut. It may even be a more scenic drive. And it's that path of self-indulgence. It's that path that is making much of us. It's the path where we'll get the most attaboys. But it's also the path that will lead to our destruction. Brothers and sisters, the greatest news of all that I can tell you this morning is that if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the race has been won. And this life you're living by faith, this life that you're living, this race that you're running has been run. And all you're called to do is to keep going and to be faithful with what you've been given. Will you remove any obstacles this morning that keep you from running the way that He's wanting you to run? any weight of self-indulgence or self-exaltation that would limit you from running the race in which we are to look at others as more important than ourselves and we are to love them and we are to witness to them in word and deed. Will you this morning confess, repent, and run? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We are all injured runners. (laughs) Help us to run in the grace and the mercy and the faith in which you supply. We can't do it ourselves. But God, let us be a people who are serious about this task.
who encourage one another and who depend upon you for the strength to get through. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We are going to end with a treat this morning with a baptism and I'm going to get the praise team to come on up and uh, those who are being baptized, we're going to go and change and uh, we look forward to continuing worship with you this morning. Would you stand with us? We're going to close or we're going to sing in Christ alone while they're preparing to, for the baptisms. There we go. The scriptures tell us that when someone places their faith in Jesus Christ, when someone gives their life to him, when someone chooses to be a runner, to run the race of Christ, one of the things that the Bible tells us, the first step of obedience is, is baptism. Baptism is a sign. It's a symbol of what God has already done in your heart and in your life. And so it is a, a joy and a privilege. Uh, normally at family camp, we have a baptism. And this weekend, as we had family weekend, we put forward the call for those who um, had made that decision. Uh, all of the candidates for baptism came and uh, talked with me. Silas, I had talked with uh, Damon. Um, and they expressed their dependence and their love of Jesus and a desire to follow Him. And so this morning we're going to get to witness just uh, one of those things that we do as a church family that marks the, uh, a mark on the journey of belief. And so it's a joy and a privilege uh, to do this this morning. So, Silas... Sorry. Do you believe that Jesus is Lord? Yes. Do you believe that God raised him from the dead? Yes. Do you have a testimony to share with us? Yes. You can read it. I asked Jesus to, to be my Savior when I was eight. I was always in a Christian family, so I know that I'm a sinner, and Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I want to live for him. Next, we have Joseph Tedstrom. Oh, you okay, bud? You're okay. It was a, I tell you, I, this young man, uh, when I talked with him about the decision that he had made for Christ, um, Joseph's, Joseph's young. Joseph articulated the gospel so clearly and just had so much wisdom in some of the the illustrations and the metaphors that he used to talk about the Christian life. And so, Joseph, do you proclaim that Jesus is Lord? Yes. Do you yes. believe that Jesus was I already know what he's going to say. 
you know what I'm going to say. I'm with you, man. Do you have a word of testimony for us? Yes. All right. Can you share that with us? And you can read it, right? Jesus is my Savior. He died on the cross for my sin, our sins. I am a sinner, so I need Jesus. I pray to God to receive the gift that Jesus gave us. Thank you, Joseph. And it is a little slippery up here. Next, we have Vincenzo and Jared, his father. Vincenzo came to me uh, quite some time ago. He, he, I think he was the first young man that I talked to. And I'm going to ask both of them this question at the same time. Do you, all, do you all profess Jesus as Lord? Yes. Do you believe that God raised him from the dead? Yes. Vincenzo, do you have a word of testimony for us? All my life, I've been missing something, and that person is God. Now I realize He is here in my heart. I knew I needed to learn about God the Father and His Word, the Bible. I knew that I had sin in my life, and Jesus died on the cross for me. I decided to ask Him into my life, and He has been with me ever since I prayed at Good News Club. Jared, do you have a word of testimony for us? I do. In 2006, at, Acquire the Fire, at an Acquire the Fire event, my sin and my need for a Savior was made apparent to me, and after responding to an altar call, I became a Christian. And since then, my life has never been the same. After returning from the event, no one ever pursued me about being baptized, nor at that age did I understand its meaning or importance. So it never happened. Years went by. I attended Liberty University, where I led in various roles as part of the dorm spiritual leadership team. At least every month, I was seeing multiple people being baptized. I never questioned my salvation, but I did carry guilt and shame for never being baptized. And at, at that time, as a, quote, prayer leader, I surely couldn't admit to the people I was supposed to be leading that I was never baptized. I lived, I lived with that for at least 10 years. This year, God did some serious prying on my heart and used family camp as the primary lever to do the prying. God was speaking to me, telling me that I need to follow his commandment. And so I am here following that commandment. 